Good morning, everyone. How we doing? We're having a good 4th of July. But enjoy that nice Florida weather we had the last couple of days. That was nice, nice humid. I hope you had air conditioning. If you didn't, a lot of sweating going on. We're glad to see everybody here this morning. We're starting a new series this summer, um, digging into the book of Judges. And um, I know many of you, you've heard the story maybe of, of Gideon and Samson. We're going we're gonna to jump into that. But what I want to do today is really lay a foundation uh, for the, the book of Judges and kind of give us an introduction into what we'll be looking at the next uh, couple months. It was interesting. I was reading an um, article not too long ago on the things we don't do any longer. And there's a lot of things that we don't do any longer with technology and things that we used to do. And, and as I was reading through, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't do that anymore. Oh, yeah, we don't do that anymore. And let me just give you a couple of things that, that we don't do anymore. Here's one thing that we don't do anymore is memorize phone numbers. Okay. Hey, guys, let, let's be real honest. A little heart check here. How many of you men, you know your wife's phone number? How many of you don't know your wife's phone number? I don't. I really, I don't. Because I, 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 you just, it's, it's right there. You don't have to look it up. You just, I just see my wife's face on my phone. I just press that and there we go. I call her all the time. Uh, I remember my phone number as a kid. 544-3741. I remember that. I haven't used that in like 30 years, but I remember my phone number as a kid growing up. We, we, don't, we don't memorize phone numbers anymore. Um, we, don't, we don't figure out math in our heads any longer. You got it on your phone. We just don't. don't. How many even know what that is? I know you don't. How many even know what that is? Okay, algebra. I'm so smart. Nah, 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 nah. Um, we, you passed it. Ruth passed it. Let's all give Ruth a hand for passing algebra. All right, Ruth. Um, here's another thing. We, we, we don't do this anymore. It's call family members to see where they are. We have, we have things called GPS on our phone. And, and parents, uh, you with kids that have phones, let me recommend a great app. It's called Life360. You can track your kids wherever they are. If they're driving, it shows you how fast they're going. If they braked suddenly, if they accelerated too fast, that app I absolutely love. So um, we, we can just track them on our phones. Um, here's another big one that we don't do anymore. It's telling time by the hands on the clock. How many of you be honest with you? You, 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 you don't like the kids are like, it's just digital. I just look at my thing. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. And I remember, remember learning that in school, how to tell time quarter after, you know, quarter till, all that. That's, that's what we learned, uh, many of us that are older. As kids today, that's something that we don't do. Uh, here's another thing we don't do much of is, is actually talk to people on the phone with text, email, IM, Snapchat. We don't really, you know, those days where you actually called somebody up and had a chat on the phone, don't really do that as much. Here's another one we don't do much of anymore is pay by check. Online banking. Really, I can't even remember the last time I actually went into the bank. Remember, remember the days you used to actually go into the bank all the time to do your transactions? No more. We, we can do everything online. Here's another thing we don't do as much anymore, and I'm kind of sad about this because I actually like this, is um, thank you notes. Handwritten, thank you. Everybody say, aw. I mean, I, I, how many of you are with me? You like the handwritten thank you note. We need to not let that go. There's something just personal about the handwritten thank you note. And here, here's the last one that we, 
really don't do any longer. If you're, if you're still doing this, this is pretty funny. We don't, we don't use roadmaps anymore. How, how many of you remember AAA getting the triptychs? Remember that? And you'd be driving, like we'd be driving to Florida, and there's like 90 pages. Uh, and then they'd highlight it for you. And I remember my parents getting arguments like, wait a minute, did we miss 95? Wait, go back. I, where's the highlighted thing? And I remember looking at the triptych going, oh my gosh, we've got 90 more pages to go. This is brutal, right? Now you have Google Maps or whatever, and you just go on your phone, and it tells you different routes to go. I, don't, I mean, it's just amazing. Men have no more excuses anymore. Of, of not asking for directions because we, we got it on our phone. Now, there's some things that um, we don't really need anymore because of, of technology. And, and then there are some things uh, that maybe we stop doing that, that, that can hurt us. And here's, here's what I want us to see this morning. As we don't jump into the, the book of Judges, what we're going to see is there's going to be a theme. And what this theme is, is that God was looking at his children and it was a period of Israel's life of, of being very apathetic towards God. And what they did was they just kind of forgot about God. It's not that they didn't know about the things that God had done for them, how God had brought them through the Red Sea, delivered them from the hands of Egyptian bondage. They just kind of got apathetic. They just kind of forgot how to do God or how to have a relationship with God. So the bottom line for those living during this time was that they stopped doing what God wanted them to do. This is a, this is a time in Israel's history, about 1,200 years before Christ. And what, what has happened is Israel has been brought out of Egyptian bondage in captivity and living in Egypt for 400 years. God has given them a promise that he's going to make them a great nation. And, and this great nation is going to be settled in the land of Canaan. And from there, God's going to make them a great nation. And from there, we know that the Savior of, of the world is going to come from the tribe of Judah. And we know that great things are going to happen through them. But God wanted to reassure them that he would always be with them and not uh, to have their hearts turned from him. Because God knew that there would be those that are living in the land that served other gods that could easily turn their heart away from the one true God who delivered them. So God's objective for them was to have a relationship with them. Not just tell them what to do, not just to give them all the do's and the don'ts, but to say, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to bless you. I want my glory to show through you and to show through this nation that I am the Lord thy God, that I am above every other God that is in every other nation. But the problem with Israel is they they just simply got apathetic. And that's what we're going to see throughout the book of Judges. So at the beginning of the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 2, I want you to see that Judges kind of captures this thought of Israel and their apathy towards God. And I want to read verses 6 through 12. And we're going to kind of jump around in the first couple uh, chapters and we're going to kind of lay a groundwork for the whole book of Judges. And here's what, here's what uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 12 says. It says, after Joshua sent the people away. Now, Joshua was a leader that actually brought the Israelites into the land of, of Canaan after the leadership of Moses. So after Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. God gave each of the tribe a certain area in the land of Canaan. Verse 7 says, and the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him and those who had seen 
all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So within that generation, they saw the great things that, that God has done. They were witnessing it under the leadership of Joshua. Then it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land that had been allocated in Tinnath Sirah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, here's where it gets sad. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. And they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And that angered the Lord. They angered the Lord because of this. Now, what I want you to see is these verses are kind of, there's a verse at the end of Judges that kind of sandwiches this whole idea of Israel walking away from the Lord. If you go to the very last verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25, it says this, in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That is a recipe for disaster. Can you imagine saying to your little children, five, six, seven years old, say, hey, do whatever you think is right in your own eyes. How's that going to play out? Not too well, right? Um, And so what you see here is you see Israel moving away from God and doing what they feel is right in their own eyes. Listen to this statement. We get in trouble when we do what we think is right without any accountability to God. That's where we get in trouble. And so they weren't accountable anymore to God. They were doing what they felt was right. Rebecca Manley Pippard in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker, makes this great point. I think it epitomizes what was going on in the heart of of Israel at that time. She says this. She goes, what controls us really is our God. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. What happened is that when, when there is this void of God in their life and this accountability of God in their life, something else is going to fill that void. And so what they did is when they ignored God, it wasn't that they didn't know what God did for them. They just simply didn't care. And so what happens is now they become more enticed with the gods around them. And God knew exactly this would happen in their hearts. That's why he kept encouraging them. Serve me. Don't turn from me. I will bless you. He warned them of this very same thing that would happen in their life. And so this was the struggle with Israel, the struggle that we face. It's who is in control of my life? What thing is actually dominating my life? And so Israel was living in the promised land that God gave to them under the leadership of first Moses as he got them all the way up to the promised land, eventually Joshua taking them in and they flourished under Joshua. God saved them from 400 years of Egyptian captivity They spent 40 years in the desert and through the leadership of Moses and then Joshua, God brings them into this promised land. What a wonderful victory of God fulfilling what he desired to do through them. And during the time of Joshua, they served the Lord and they witnessed and they talked about the great things that God had done for them. Look at Joshua 24, 31. It said, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. 
those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. This was a good time. Those that were under the leadership of Joshua. After Joshua died, those in that generation did something. They, 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 after that generation died, they began to forget what God had done for them. They lost their focus and they lost their purpose. And so God gave them the land of, of Canaan to be a witness of the power of God that he and he alone was Lord. Then the next generation that arose did not follow the ways of the generation before them. And this is the key thing that happened. They just stopped acknowledging God. They just stopped. See, I want you to realize this morning, it's, it's, it's not the big things in your life. We always think, you know, if I can just avoid the big, big, big sins in my life, I'm going to be okay. I want you to realize it's the small things we stop doing. It's the small things that we stop acknowledging the Lord at, that we start forgetting the Lord and, and we become calloused or, or just kind of comfortable with God. And then, and then our hearts just become wayward. And it's not that, it's not that, it's not that we don't remember what God has done or, or we may even say, well, God is good. And, but we just become apathetic because we stop doing the small things in our life. We stop recognizing God. We stop becoming thankful for all the things that God has done in our life. And I think what can begin to happen in our, our lives is we lose a heart of gratitude for the Lord and a heart of thankfulness for what God has done for us. And I think it's easy to do, the longer you become a Christian, it's, e it's, it's easy to get apathetic towards the things that God has done. And I think the way we keep our hearts refreshed and alive and vibrant is by continually developing that relationship with God and developing that relationship with God's people, continually developing a relationship with God's word, continually developing a relationship with we fellowship together as we come together on a Sunday morning corporate worship. Those are the things that keep us alive and vibrant. Keep, continually listen to the Lord when he speaks to our heart about things that are wayward in our heart, allowing the Holy Spirit to have access in our heart and our lives every single day. When we begin to forget to do those things, that's when our hearts become apathetic. We are no different from Israel. We're no different from them. And we can become apathetic. And this is why I think it's so important for us to study um, the book of Judges. So they just stop remembering the things of God and what he's done for them. They stopped acknowledging God. They just simply just stopped doing God. And, and, and they were heavily influenced by the nations around them that did not serve God. So they're in this tension of living in a culture that did not serve God. And so we have the same struggle today that we live in a culture now that just simply, you know, are not serving God or acknowledging the things of God. And so we've got this constant tension in our lives. And how do we live um, before the Lord in a culture that, that's not doing that? And that's the tension that we face. That's the tension uh, that Israel faced. And so they're heavily influenced by the nations around them. And they were faced with serving God and at the same time following the culture around them. That's no different from us here today. And eventually they gave in. They began to serve the gods around them to the point where they just abandoned God. And so I want you, this is really the theme of, of Judges. I've got, I've got the circle of, of Judges here. And, and basically, here's, here's, here's basically, this is what we're going to see as we, we study uh, the whole book of, of Judges. We see this, this apathy against God. Then we see that God is angry. Then we see them oppressed by their enemies. Then the people cry out. 
in repentance because of the anguish that they're going through. And then we see salvation through a chosen judge. Now, the the word judge actually means leader, that God actually raises up certain leaders to deliver them from the enemy around them. And so that's where you, you get Gideon and Samson. And so that's what a judge is. And then you see this time of peace. As long as that judge was ruling, there was this time of peace. But all of a sudden when that judge died, that leader died, they went, they went right back into the same circle again. Same merry-go-round that they jumped on again. And we're going to see this as we study the book of Judges. And so this is basically the theme of judges. So the, the book of Judges really is a book of, of really people doing bad things. It's a book describing people living dysfunctional lives. And you, and, and you might be thinking, well, yeah, Pastor, that, that describes my life really well. Um, the, the question is, why spend the summer studying people with such messed up lives? I want, I want you to realize it's for this reason, because we are messed up people. That's the reason why we need to study it. The gospel is the only hope for messy people. And, and I want you to see, even though we're studying an Old uh, Testament book, I, I want you to realize that the gospel message is through this book. That there's, that there's hope even in the, in the midst of people turning away from God. That God continually hears their cries and rescues them. I think we have this misunderstanding of the Bible. I, I think... I want you to understand the Bible is not just a book of good people doing good things. It's not just simply that the Bible shows us how God by his grace uses messed up people who he has redeemed to do great things for him. And so what the Bible does is the Bible shows us how God still works through people in spite of times of resistance and failure. That God still uses us in spite of times of resistance and failure. And we're going to see that through the book of Judges. There's just resistance, there's just failure. But God then redeems them again by bringing them a rescuer, by bringing them a deliverer. And our hearts are the same way. There are times that we are, can we just be honest? There are times that we are just resistant to God's calling in our life. We know what we were supposed to do, but then we don't do it. We know what God says in his word. And many of us can quote things and know things and know how to live our lives. But it's, it comes down to that obedience. Will I listen to the word of the Lord? And this is what Israel s- struggled with. See, the Bible tells us story after story of how God rescues messy, undeserving people and brings them out of their mess and their sin and then redeems them for his purpose. See, the book of Judges is all about the gospel. God sending a rescuer and giving us something we didn't deserve. And that's what I, it, it, I, I don't want us to study Judges and just say, okay, this is how you're supposed to live. And it's just a, a moral book. It, it's not about that. It's about God giving Israel something that they didn't deserve. Capiche? Okay, are you with? Because if if we miss it here, then you're going to miss the whole rest of the series. Because what what I'm afraid of is that we tend to read the Old Testament. We just think, oh, that's a good person. That's a moral person. Then I need to live like them. But when you really study their lives, they weren't so perfect as we thought they were. And the problem is that 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 can really trip us up in Christianity. Because at times we're going to fail. At times we're going to let God down. 
And if our hearts aren't anchored in the gospel message and the cross of Jesus Christ, we're just going to give up. And God doesn't want you to give up. God's not giving up on you. And he wants, to, wants you to realize that there is a way out. And the way out is through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's a redemption and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, even in our times of waywardness, that we can always come back to him. So, so, so what happened? What happened in the leadership of Joshua? Well, uh, and, and versus what we see in the book of Judges. Why is there this complete 180 turnaround away from God? Well, Joshua, what he does is he brings Israel together at Shechem. And in Shechem, he kind of gives them a pep talk. Like he's like, hey, listen, this is what I want you guys to do. We're getting ready to enter the promised land. I want you guys just to follow the Lord. And he kind of gives them this, this pep, pep talk. And, and there they are. They're in the promised land. And Joshua reiterates God's message to them. And Joshua gives them a history lesson on what their forefathers did and how they served these foreign gods and how God brought them out of Egypt. Now, I want you to listen to what Joshua says here in Joshua chapter 24. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites and whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, there's something interesting there in verse 15. Joshua says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day and whom you will serve. Now, Joshua, this is, we read this, we, we might read this incorrectly. Joshua is not saying to choose God or these false gods. There's not this either or. What Joshua is actually saying is this, if you read the verse carefully. He's saying, choose the gods of your ancestors or choose the gods who are part of Canaan. Joshua is saying, if you have already rejected the Lord, then choose what false God you're going to serve. But he said, but for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. So what Joshua is actually telling them is you can't serve God half-heartedly. It will not work. Just, just choose the foreign God of Egypt. Choose the God of the Amorites. Go do it. Go serve because you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't serve God half-heartedly. See, a half-hearted commitment, commitment to God will always lead to compromise. Every single time. So, Because if you're going to have one foot in the world and, and, and choosing to serve these gods among you, and one, and one foot in the door of God's kingdom, it's going to lead to compromise. And this is why the book of Judges is so important, because that's exactly what, what happened. They knew what was expected of them. They knew exactly what God wanted for them. Joshua stressed it to them. But they did not fully commit themselves to the Lord. And what we see at the beginning of the book of Judges in chapter 1 is the tribes of Israel are continuing to, to have the conquest of Canaan. The problem was this. Here's the problem. They failed by completely being obedient to God by removing the inhabitants out of Canaan. And this came back to haunt them. Chapter one says in so many words, this is what they, this is their complaint against the Lord. Well, God, we tried. We tried to remove them, but you don't understand. They had chariots. 
They, they had better uh, uh, vehicles of war than we did. We, we, we did our, our best. And you might read chapter one of Judges and you might think to yourself, well, yeah, at least they tried. They tried hard. And so they had these excuses. They had better stuff than we did. That was their excuse. And then chapter two of Judges, God would give the assessment of what was really going on. It wasn't that the inhabitants of Canaan had better um, instruments of warfare than they did. The problem was their heart. They relied on their excuses more than they did the power of God. Good preaching right there, people. All right. Listen, how many of us, we all can have excuses in our lives? Well, you don't understand the way I was brought up. I get it. You don't understand about this. You don't understand that. Blah, 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 blah. We can have all these excuses about why we're not relying on the things that God desires to do in our heart. And so what happens is they just say, well, God, we tried. And God gives an assessment of their heart. And, and he shows them exactly what's going on in their heart. And so the result of, of their wobbling was they didn't secure their inheritance that God desired for them. And the remaining Canaanites would be a constant thorn in their side for years to come. So let me quote to you one of the greatest theologians that I know, Barney Fife. That's what Barney Fife says. Barney Fife says this, nip it in the bud, right? And nip it, you got to nip it in the bud, right? So see, what happens is Israel didn't nip it in the bud. They didn't completely obey God's desires, and this would come back to hurt them. If you remove the bud from the plant, you may keep it from flowering or, or producing fruit. It would be the same with a bad habit. We, we can't give room for it to grow, or it will eventually harm us. And so what happened is they didn't completely obey the Lord, and so this would come back to haunt them. And, and this is what happened with Israel. God knew that the gods of Canaan would cause Israel to compromise, and that's exactly what happen. So I, I, I want us to look at Judges chapter 2 or the first two verses. Something very interesting happens here because what God does is he gives them an assessment of their heart. So let's look at these two verses. And here's what happens as we start off in the, in the first couple of chapters of Judges. It says, an angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Boykin and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and I led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Isn't that a great promise? God binds himself to Israel. He says, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. So they knew what they were supposed to. God made a covenant with them. He says, you become, you're, if you're faithful to me, I will bless you. Don't break this covenant. He says, but you shall break down their altars. And this, is what, and this is the assessment that God gives them through the angel of the Lord. You have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? You knew what you were supposed to do. You knew what my instructions were. It's not that you didn't know. You just didn't want to do it. And so Joshua in, in, in chapter 5 tells us what's going on or gives us a little background of, of why this angel came from Gilgal. What's very interesting is, is why would the angel of the Lord come from Gilgal? Why would he come from the town of Gilgal? That makes no sense to me. Why wouldn't he come from heaven? I, don't, I, I, I know the angel doesn't live there. I don't know of too many angels that live in Gilgal. 
Um, I don't know if that was a hot spot for angels. Um, I don't know. But why Gilgal? Well, this is important. Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 says that it was in Gilgal that the people made a covenant with God. What, What God is doing, catch this. God is reminding them of the covenant that they made with him. Not to serve these foreign gods that would lead them away from him because our God is a jealous God and, and he didn't want this relationship, relationship to be broken with them. Look at Joshua 5.9 because it explains why the angel came from Gilgal. It says in Joshua 5.9, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the approach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. The word Gilgal actually means to roll. God rolled the approach of Egypt from them. What God says at Gilgal, what I did is the slavery that you were in, in Egypt, I rolled away that approach from you. I set you free. They no longer have their power over you. Very symbolic of, of sin dominated us and causing us to be a slave to that very thing. God said, listen, You made a covenant with me. I rolled away the approach of Egypt on your life. You are no longer slaves. You are free to serve me. Why are you going to go right back to the same cesspool? Why are you going to go right back to the same thing and allow yourself to be dominated by foreign gods like you did in Egypt? Why would you do that? I've made this covenant with you. I've set you free. I took you out of that bondage and I've given you this land of milk and honey. Come live with me and be free. Who would not want that? Why would we go back? It's the waywardness of our heart when we stop doing the small things. And we just forget, not that we totally forgot what God did. We just ignore it. We become apathetic to it. See, it was here at Gilgal that God shows his grace. He shows his forgiveness and mercy to them. Did they deserve it? No. Were they great? Were they just wonderful, obedient people going through the wilderness for 40 years? What did God call them? He called them stiff-necked people. Moses called them, man, God, these are stiff-necked people. God knew that they were many times hard in their heart. God felt like giving up. Moses had to intercede and just say, God, don't give up. Remember your promise, blah, blah, blah. God shows his grace here at Gilgal. And it's only by his grace that we are saved. And it was by his grace that they were saved from Egypt, even though they didn't deserve it. The angel, listen to me, the angel coming from Gilgal was a reminder to Israel how they were saved by God's grace. It was a reminder that it was God and God alone who rescues them. And that is the theme that we're going to constantly, consistently see through the book of Judges. So why was God upset in verse 2? Their obedience to God was half-hearted, and they didn't follow through, and the result was compromise. They knew, but they didn't. They could, but they wouldn't. And we can do the same thing. We know that we ought to forgive this person. We know what the word of God says. We know that the word of God tells us to be forgiven. How can God forgive us and we can't forgive others? We, we, we may know what that says, but, but then we say in our house, but I, I can't forgive. We, we, we withhold forgiveness from someone else. 
We know that thing that is in our life that's been dominating us. We know this thing that's in our life that's hurting us. And we know what we ought to do. We know we need to lay that thing down. We know what God's word says. And we know how it's hurting our relationship with the Lord. But, but we don't do it. I know I have this addiction. And I can ask for, you know, I can ask for help or I can struggle with it. I can cry out to God or I can remain isolated in my own dark cave and allow that thing to dominate me. See, what God does for Israel, he doesn't shame them. He's telling them, come back to me. I formed a covenant with you. You didn't deserve it. In Gilgal, that's where I showed you my grace and I rolled away the approach of Egypt over your life that you no longer would have to be dominated in slavery by someone else. That I will set you free. I won't enslave you. I will give you what I desire to give to you through my grace. So the question is, why doesn't God just give up on us? Why doesn't he just give up on us? I mean, there's so many times where you ever feel that way in your life. You're like, man, I feel like I'm doing well with the Lord. Then I feel like I slip and then I go up. And it's just this roller coaster up and down. Why doesn't God give up with us? I have got some wonderful, wonderful good news for you today. Because God didn't give up on Israel. and God is not going to give up on us here today. This is where the message of the cross comes in. I want you to realize that the cross is our Gilgal. It's at the cross that God rolls away the approach, the the bondage of sin on our life to set us free. That's our Gilgal. God says, I want you to continue to come back to Gilgal to find your forgiveness. Even though you're going to make mistakes, you're going to find my forgiveness there to set you free from whatever you need to be set free from. See, on the cross, Jesus bore our sin so that his righteousness could actually be given to us. A righteousness that's not earned or deserved by me, a righteousness that's given by God completely by his grace. And it's through the cross that Jesus satisfied the holy standards of God. The condition that no one is holy. No one could approach God. But Jesus in his perfection and being God, he could. And it's through Christ Jesus that we can boldly come before the throne room of God and find grace and mercy in our time of need. God doesn't give up on us. He gives us the cross as a gift to you and I that we don't deserve to say it's through the cross of Christ Jesus that you can find covering for your sin and your unrighteousness and our rebellion and our time of waywardness away from God. It's through the cross that God extends his grace and mercy to us through his son by doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why the cross is our Gilgal. We couldn't meet the holy demands of God in our own goodness. We could never, ever do that. So here's the question. We're going to take communion in just a minute. How do we deal with that tension of of knowing that there are times where I just disobey the Lord and maybe I don't listen to his voice or um, I'm struggling with an area of my life that I need to lay down in obedience 
to the Lord because God desires to have a relationship with me or there's something in my life that I know I'm just, you know, I look at our lives as just like a bunch of compartments, a bunch of rooms. And there are some rooms in your house that you don't mind guests to come into, right? Because that's the area that you keep clean, right? But if a guest wants to go down in your basement, you're like, yeah, spider webs, a lot of mice living down there. I don't know what's dead down there. We don't want you to go, right? And here, here's the thing. When I come into full obedience to the Lord, God doesn't want to go in the nice clean rooms. He wants to go in the basement. He wants to go in the messy part of your life, the things that you're hiding, the unforgiveness you're withholding, that sin that you've been struggling with, the addiction that you've been struggling with, the thing that if you were to say to somebody else, you'd feel like, man, this isn't a good part of my life and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of this. That's where Jesus wants to go. He wants to go. Let him open up the door of the basement of your heart and let him go in. See, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to clean it up for you. He wants to do the work for you. He doesn't want to come down in the basement and then now start pointing out, all, okay, yeah, well, look at all, you got to clean that up. You got to, Jesus is not about shame. Jesus is about deliverance. See, Israel missed that. They, they missed the covenant that God desired to have with them. And we can do the same thing. It's not about trying to do everything perfect and then live my life in a way that, that is squeaky clean on the outside so everybody thinks, oh, this person, boy, you got it all together. Praise the Lord, right? Meanwhile, our basements are a wreck. And God says, that's where I want to go. So how do we deal with the tension of obedience to God and not following through like Israel at time? At times. I love this quote by Tim Keller. He says this. He says, the cross is where we find the tension resolved. So we are able to live forgiven, obedient lives despite also living sinful, disobedient lives. The cross is is the place where we find the freedom to accept ourselves without being proud and to challenge ourselves without being crushed. See, the thing that Jesus wants from us, he doesn't want to take you to the cross and just beat you down. He wants to lift you up. Dust you off. Find forgiveness. And say, God, I don't want this thing dominating my life anymore. I want you to dominate my life. I want my life to be in obedience to you. And so I want you to ask yourself this question. As we take communion, the, the Apostle Paul says, every time we do this, don't do it haphazardly. Because what we're doing is it's not some religious thing we do. Just say, oh, I did my communion once a month and, you know, put a checklist for me for doing something religious. It's not what it's for. It's to remember. It's to remember and not forget what Jesus did. Now, here's the thing. We can remember 
but it may not translate into obedience. Here's where it becomes real for you and I. It's just not simply taking communion because I would rather have you not take communion today than to take it in disobedience. So what we do is when we come, Jesus wants us to remember what he's done for us. And then what it does is it translates into obedience. Where in my life is there an area that I know that God is calling me out of that I'm just in disobedience where I haven't allowed the Lord to deal with my heart in that way? That's why Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, listen, when you take communion, examine your hearts. Examine those things that are in your life that may be out of kilter and Listen, I'm not here to, 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 to lay more shame on, are you praying enough? Are you reading your Bible enough? Because we, we can all do that. And then we say, okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to pray for five hours. And I'm going to read through the whole Old Testament next week. And then, you know, how many know that works for about a day? And then we go back into our same hat, right? If we're just being honest. And then we give up. And then we feel shame. And then we feel like I'm no good. Stop that. I'm going to slap all your hands. Stop doing that. That's not what God desires. Does God desire us to read our Bibles and to pray? Yes, he wants us to do that. But what is my motivation? My motivation is this obedience to the Lord, that God, I want to know you. I want to experience your freedom, not just another religious checkmark that I've, ooh, look at me, goody, goody gumdrops for you that you read through the whole Bible in one year. That's great if you do it. Great, great, great. I've done it. It's wonderful. It's great. But if we lose the meaning behind it, it just becomes another religious exercise. It's not what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants your basement. He wants you to come back to Gilgal and say, God, I lay my life down again and again and again and again because I need you and I'm messed up and I don't want to lose the sensitivity of your Holy Spirit in my life. He wants you to get alone with him, not just to rattle off. Listen, we should pray and we should have our prayer requests. Those are all fine. But sometimes, you know what? I think it's just good for us just to get alone with the Lord and let him speak to your heart. Let him speak to it. Just say, God, here's the basement. I give you the keys. Oh, God, Jesus, you're not going to know what's down there. I know you already know what's down there, but I'm going to let you go down there. Please go down. I need it cleaned up. You give him the keys to the basement. You let him go down there. And you let him start doing the cleaning in your heart. That's where you'll find his love, his forgiveness, his cleansing power. So as we take communion this morning, It's not just for people who are members of our church. It's open to all who come to Christ and have just say, Jesus, I need you. And I'm going to recognize what you've done for me. By all means, take communion. But here's what I want you to do. Where is there an area of your life that needs some cleaning up? Where is there an area of your life where you know, God, I I need to give this to you. I know it's a struggle, but I'm I'm going to start confessing this thing to you. Listen, We're always going to struggle in our lives. You realize that we're going to struggle with stuff. But you don't have to struggle alone. And you don't have to allow that thing to dominate your life. There's a difference between, there's a difference between struggling with something and just giving in to sin and just saying, I don't care. Israel didn't care at one point. 
What God's saying is, I care, and I want you to care. And as you struggle, I want you to continue to give this to me so my power can live within you. And there's other people that can come around you to help you to walk through this walk with me. Amen. I Listen, the best prayer request that we get here, it's great that you, you get prayer requests to pray for other people. I love the prayer requests that people just say, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with this thing in my life. I'm struggling with this addiction in my life. I love those prayer requests because it's someone that's saying, God, I want you to go in the basement of my life and I'm struggling with this addiction and I need other people, other believing Christians to pray for me to help me through this struggle. That's what God wants. That's what he desires. So as we go through the book of Judges, we're going to look at what God desires and how ultimately God is our rescuer. And that's why Jesus came to rescue us. That's the gospel message. Amen. I want you to bow your hearts with me. We're going to pray. We're going to take communion together. The ushers are going to serve you in just a moment. And uh, here's what we're going to do as, as we pray. We're going to sing this song called Come to the Altar. And basically the altar was a place of sacrifice as we see in the Old Testament. It's a place where, where sins were covered where God did the forgiving, where God did the atonement through the sacrifice of an animal symbolic of a, of a, of a penalty that had to be paid for our sins. And so when you, when you hear the words come to the altar, what it means is I want you to think symbolically, Lord, I'm going to lay this thing down before you because I need your forgiveness. Whatever that thing may be, whatever that thing you might be struggling with, you lay that thing down before the Lord and just say, God, I need your forgiveness. I'm going to lay this down. I'm going to give my life to you as a living sacrifice because I need your forgiveness and I need your covering in my life. I want the words to speak to you as, as the worship team sings them for us. Father God, we just bow our hearts before you. Jesus, you said whenever we take communion, we're to do this in remembrance of you. Your body was crushed for us. You became a substitute for us. The penalty of our sin was upon your back. The guilt of our sin and our waywardness was on your sinless back. You were whipped. You were crushed. The crown of thorns was placed upon your head where you bled for us. You were spat upon. Nails were thrusted into your feet, into your hands, a spear into your side. You did it for us. You didn't have to, but you were obedient to the call of your Father. Your blood was perfect in every way to cover our sin. You became a perfect sacrifice for us, one that would never have to be done again. And so we remember that. So as we come before you, we come as broken people, messy people with just nasty basements. And we ask that you would clean us up. We give you the keys to our lives. And we ask that you would clean us up today. Not because you want to shame us or push us deeper into a dark cave, but to bring us out into the light so we can walk in the freedom that Jesus desires to give to us today. 
Help us to be reminded that Jesus comes to set us free, not to put us back into bondage again. So thank you for the freedom that's through the precious cross of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen.